Hi, Pastor John here saying welcome to our broadcast. Today's sermon is about the Antichrist. Now there are several teachings about the Antichrist. Is he a real person? A spirit of the age? A group of people? A political entity? Well, let's see what the Apostle John has to say about this enigmatic figure. Special Needs Ministry, we want to thank you for coming to the talent show on Friday. And if you couldn't make it, I'm telling you, you really missed out. Um, Our participants were amazing. They shared their talents with so much joy, and they were just so proud. And it was so incredible to watch them. We sat all them over here, and they just cheered everybody on with such enthusiasm. It was just incredible. Um, And we wanted to share the slideshow with you that we presented at the close of our talent show. And this is just a glimpse of God's goodness with this ministry. It's a mama singing songs about the Lord It's a daddy spending family time The world says he cannot afford These simple moments change the world It's a pastor at a tiny little church Forty years of loving on the broken and the hurt These simple moments change the world Dream small, don't buy the lie, you've got to do it all. Just let Jesus use you where you are, one day at a time. Live well, loving God and others as yourself. Find little ways where only you can help. With His great love, a tiny rock can make a giant fall. Dream small. On a Friday with your friend with special needs These simple moments change the world Of course there's nothing wrong with bigger dreams Just don't miss the minutes on your way to bigger things, no Dream small Keep loving, keep serving Keep listening, keep learning Keep praying, keep hoping Keep seeking, keep searching Out of the small things And watch them grow bigger The God who does all things Makes oceans From rivers So dream small Don't buy the lie You've got to do it all Just let Jesus use you where you are One day at a time Live well Loving God and others as yourself Find little ways where only you can help With His great love A tiny rock can make a giant fall Yeah, if I'm rolling to fit 
Let me tell you something. Uh, something amazing happened here last Friday night. Uh, and that uh, participation of the body of Christ and seeing how wide and how deep it is and realizing the promise that all of us in the body of Christ have some gift to bring and just watching it happen up here on this stage. Uh, I'll tell you something. If you're looking for a way to get plugged in, this is a way to do it. Uh, the, the the spirit was moving so strong. It was such a such a joyful, emotional evening, and that happens every time Love to Be Me gets together. This is a unique ministry, um, and you don't have to have any particular expertise to take part in it. Just need to show up. They'll find something we do. We had one guy uh, showed up a couple uh, uh, episodes ago, and he said, "I didn't know what I was going to do until I found out they needed somebody to watch the door." And he's a great door watcher. <laughs> yeah, you know, so come on down. We need help. Uh, give your gifts to those who are giving gifts back. And if you have any questions about that, you can see Deanna or you can see me. We'll be able to help you out. So I'd like you to turn to John, 1 John chapter 2. Going to be in verses 18 through 27. We're just flying through John. Nine verses today. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. Then it might become plain that they are not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who's the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You probably heard some of this before, but I had a friend come to me several years ago. I know who the Antichrist is. Who? Obama. What? He said, oh, no, no. I read this book. I saw this article. You know, he's born in Kenya, and he's the Antichrist. I said, well, uh, I don't know about that. 
you know, wasn't it just a few years ago that you were telling me Gorbachev was the Antichrist? Oh, no, no, that wasn't him. That was him. Now we got him. So, so and, and what he had done was he read, he read an article here and there. There, there were a couple books that, that said, okay, if you do this and you do this and this word means that and that word might mean this and then if you put them all together, it means this here. And he had preconceptions about who the Antichrist was. And this is what we need to be careful of. This has been a theme that we've had here at WBF for several years. We need to be careful of preconceptions regarding Scripture. We need to be careful of trying to make the Scripture fit our ideas about what's going on. So we're going to see that today in John's letter. Now, John's written this letter to the churches in Turkey and Macedonia to caution against some really bad teaching that's crept into the church. And the teaching is a, it's a man-centered theology. And it's one that distorts Christ and denies most of the basics of his teaching. Now, we should understand that none of this is overt. Satan didn't walk into the church and go, boy, have I got a lesson for you. You're not standing there looking apparently evil. But the teaching repackages the truth of God's word and presents it as something attractive, something that's appealing. And that is tearing the church apart. See, division and tension in the church never comes from anything, listen to me carefully, Division and tension in the church never comes from anything evil. It doesn't start out that way. It always looks good. It always sounds good. And it lures people away from the truth, seduces them into thinking that somehow their salvation is about themselves and not about God and his glory. Isn't that what we saw in Jesus' ministry? I mean, it was. As long as Jesus was working miracles, feeding people, performing signs, and forgiving folks, thousands of people just ran to him. They were eating it up. But when it got to the tough parts, when the hard teaching began, when Jesus taught in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting with verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, the crowd, the crowd thought that was repulsive. Some Bible scholars, some of the ones that I respect, say that uh, this is because the crowd thought that Jesus was teaching some form of cannibalism. I'm not so sure about that. Because just prior to that passage in John's gospel, Jesus told them in, in same chapter 639, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus made it clear that belief in him 
brought eternal life. That was eternal life. Then he said, here's what, that's, here's what that looks like. So when he gets into the blood and the flesh thing, he's telling them what eternal life looks like, belief in him. He says, you and I will be united. I will be such a part of you that it will look like you absorbed me and it's going to look like I absorbed you. You will be one with me. Now, all that, all that sounds really good until you consider what they had seen about Jesus over the three years. He led a, a, a pious life. He was a holy man. He was poor. He had nothing. He spent hours each day in prayer. He talked about obedience. Spoke of sacrifice. Constantly humbled himself, likened himself to the Passover lamb, which was sacrificed itself. What if, what if folks understood Jesus to be saying about the body and blood to be, to be an invitation to live like Jesus instead of being comfortable, satisfied, and having all of their needs met at the whim, just like that, will just make lots of fish and loaves. When instead of all that, instead of being comfortable, they were being called to a life of sacrifice and piety. You know, you know how the crowd reacted to that? John six sixty. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Let me give you the, the John Kavakis translation here. We don't want to hear that. Don't say that. That's not what we followed you for. And then we see this in John 6, 66, verses letter. I don't think too much about that. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked. See, a lot of folks are looking for an easy believism, aren't they? Christian life that satisfies their desires, fulfills them, affirms them, makes them comfortable. And that, that teaching is what was pulling people away from the church when John wrote his first letter. And John knows how dangerous this is, and he wants to warn them, and he uses the strongest words possible to describe what he calls the Antichrist. That's the title of the sermon today, the Antichrist. Watch, we'll get nine million hits on this. <laughs> so uh, our passage works out in three definitions. We see the Antichrist defined in verses 17 through 19. We see the anointing in verses 20 through 25, and we see abiding in verses 26 and 27. So let's take a look at this Antichrist. Uh, verse 18, children, it is the last hour. Now, John's already mentioned this last hour concept twice. He said, the darkness is passing and the light has come in verse 8. He said, this world is passing away in verse 17. Now he comes back to this whole last hour idea. And a lot of trees have sacrificed themselves in an effort to explain what this phrase means and those that are like it. So I, I just want to make this easy for you. Suffice it to say that the coming of Christ inaugurated a new age 
And everything that happened after Christ ascended into heaven is the last hour. It's the last hour. Now, if this hour seems extraordinarily long to us, it's not an issue with God, who is apart from time. This is what, what God's trying to say to us when he said, well, to me, a day is like a thousand years. I, I don't count time the way you do. We are in the final hour. And this is clear by what John says next. And, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Now, notice John says, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Curiously enough, John is the only one who writes about the Antichrist. We'll have more to say about that in a little bit. We heard Paul mention the man of lawlessness. Uh, we, we've heard about the son of destruction, which, are, which may be references to the Antichrist. But John is the only one who names what amounts to be a protagonist to Christ, an enemy of Christ in the end times. So if, if you look at the Gospels and there's some oblique references, mentions from Paul and in John's writing, we get a picture of someone or, or maybe, maybe a group of someones who are false teachers. They're false teachers. People who work signs and wonders. Got to be careful about how much we desire signs and wonders. Uh, people who prophesy, albeit falsely, people who claim to be God and call for other people to worship them. And it's all a deception. As Paul says in Second Thessalonians, we hear that Christ himself are going to destroy those teachers. So their fate is, is assured. If we look in Revelation, where you would think we would find all sorts of stuff about the Antichrist, we only find this in chapter 13, and it portrays not a person, but a military political entity, perhaps a group of nations. John describes a, a beast from the sea in verse 2. Uh, it wears 10 crowns, and he describes a, a beast from the land in verse 13 and 14 of Revelation 13. And that, that beast speaks with the authority of the first beast and deceives people into worshiping. So exactly what this person is or, or what he might look like or what these people look like is a little vague and has been interpreted in a lot of different ways. Well, the popular conception, in particular today, I, I don't know if you heard of this or not, but there, there's another guy that just stepped forward earlier this month and said, Christ is coming back. When? In September. I'm like, how many times are we going to go through this? And, yeah, he, he may come back in September. I don't know. But this would be like the 22nd time I've heard it, and it hasn't happened yet. So it, 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 he says, John says, he's here, and they are here. John says, many have come. Now, this is in John's time, sometime late in the first century. So, keeping in mind why John writes his letter, it's easy to see that the Antichrist that he's talking about are those people who have distorted the teachings of Christ. They've bent them and shaped them into something more palatable. 
Not only are they causing problems in the church, but they're actually working against Christ. And then look at this. They went out from us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. These antichrists have come from within the church, inside the church. They didn't rise up out of hell like some demon coming out of some smoking lava pit. They came up out of the pews. John says, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. He said they were among us, but they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have stayed. They wouldn't have left. They would have taught what we taught. They would have believed what we believed. They would have taught and believed what Jesus taught. Instead, but they went out, John says, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. The fact that they left shows that they're not of the body of Christ. So the definition of antichrist is the one or anyone or everyone who contradicts the teaching of Christ. At least that's the definition that John gives us. So in 1 John, the Antichrist are the ones that deny Jesus has come in the flesh and is here to sanctify his bride, who even though the bride is saved, still needs to be sanctified. Let's take a look at this anointing, verse 20. But you've been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Now, the, the anointing here, the word is klima, and it refers to a type of blessing that comes down from above. And it would describe what happened to Jesus Christ as he went to be baptized and the Spirit of God came down and landed on him that, that looked like a dove. So John's saying, God has sent you, the body of Christ, the members of the church, the Holy Spirit, and because, because that spirit dwells in you, you know the truth. You know the truth of what Jesus taught. And you have the capability to process this in a godly and scriptural manner. So in verse 20, he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. John seems to keep saying the same things over and over again, doesn't he? He's trying to impress upon these people, you got this. You know better than this. He's writing to remind them of the truth that they were taught, and because of that, they should recognize the lie. Verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Now, one of the elements of this Gnostic, docetic teaching that we've been talking about was that Jesus was divine, which was true. There's enough truth that there's always some truth to every false teaching. But they took it to the extreme and claimed that his divinity was so complete that there was nothing of humanness in him, so he didn't suffer and die the way we understand suffering and dying. He was, and, and essentially what they were saying was that Jesus was not an incarnate God. He didn't come in the flesh. It wasn't the word manifesting itself in our reality. He's not one who took on flesh, not fully man, not fully God, which is a total denial of some of the basics of the Bible. We see in the Bible and the word took on flesh. 
So now we're denying who Jesus is. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so essentially, if you deny the truth of the Bible, then you deny the Son and the Father are one. And when you confess the truth, you're in union with the Son and the Father. And Jesus, John tries to clarify all this because it's getting a little murky with verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And so what John says, you get down to the basics. You embrace the basics and everything else begins to fall in place. If the truth lives in you, then you will live in the Son and the Father. You are inextricably united to the Son and Father. And this is not something, you got to put this together with the Holy Spirit anointing. This is not something that you need to work up. It's not something that you need to, to, to build up. Somebody said, I need to build my faith. You don't need to build your faith. God's given you the faith that you have. And so we, we don't have to work it up. It's the gift that we've been anointed with. And along with that gift comes a promise, verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us. It's eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. We've been anointed with the Holy Spirit to understand the truth. We have the Bible to affirm what the truth is. And when we embrace all this and allow it to govern our lives, we live in him, he lives in us. We have eternal life. So the definition of the anointing, our second definition, is the gift of the Holy Spirit which brings us knowledge of the truth. And it's our guarantee. It's the assurance of our salvation. If we have the Holy Spirit, we're going to heaven. Amen, somebody. Oh, everybody. Thank you. Let's talk about this abiding, what John's talking about here. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So John is writing about the Antichrist of the first century. And while their teaching sounds good, seductive, it's subtle, subtle enough to lure folks away from the church and into something that is more centered on what? More centered, what would take them out of the church? What would take them out of their focus on God? There's only one thing that would do that. It's focus on them. Oh, let's focus on material. I'm not going to that church. Let's focus on status and and esteem. Oh, I'm not going to that church. Let's focus on you. Yeah, where's that? We like it to be about us. I've confessed to you often enough that I believe that when I die, you're all going to go away. Why would you be here if I wasn't here? You see, you see the limits of our self-centeredness, the original sin in the garden? We've talked about this, was not, was not the fact that they just simply ate the fruit. It was the sin of self-determination. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted creation to be about them. And so there's these folks that are teaching this in the first century church, and people are flocking to them. Oh, that would never happen today. We know better. I gotta tell you something. I spent some time looking at church web pages. None of these are in Warrington, okay? 
And here's some of the, the banners that I saw. A modern worship experience. Big picture with laser lights and smoke machines. We have everything you're looking for in a church. How about this one? Find yourself and find a home. And, and just one more. You don't have to believe to belong. Oh, I don't have to believe what? Anything. Just come and, and be. Now, all, all this sounds great, and I've got to be honest with you, as I look at those things, even I want to go to that church. I think, boy, I'd like to go there. I, I, it sounds like I don't have to do anything. I'm going to have a great experience. Uh, it, it, it's, all, it's all about me. But my Bible, my Bible tells me that the church is the bride, the body. Now, think about this for a second. The body of Christ. And if you understand those phrases, you understand that Christ is the focus. He's the focus. He's the head. He's the leader. He's the one that we are called to imitate, to emulate. The one who sacrificed himself so that we can make God the center and the focus of our lives. Well, how, 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 how are we supposed to know that? John says in verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. John says we already know this and the reason we know it is because but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We have the Holy Spirit, watch this, who illuminates the scriptures. Now, we've got to take the biblical arc into consideration to understand all this. We have godly men and women who teach the scriptures. We have the truth. And that truth may be difficult at times. It may rub us a little bit the wrong way. It may challenge us. But the truth keeps us focused. It keeps us grounded. It keeps reminding us that it's not about us. It's about God. John says, abide in this. This isn't just hang around. His definition of abide is to immerse ourselves in it, to, to soak in it, to live in it, to live in its way. The scripture becomes our foundation, our focus, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures point us towards Jesus Christ. So there's, there's our three definitions. The Antichrist, follow me on this. Perhaps, maybe, maybe one day soon, the Antichrist is going to be personified. There's going to be, you know, my favorite image is Nikolai Carpathia. <laughs> There's going to be some Nikolai Carpathia figure that rises up. And, and maybe not. See, we've got to be careful with this. Because maybe, maybe the Antichrist is a body of teaching. Like it clearly was in John's time. That's what he's fighting against. Maybe it's what some theologians call the spirit of the age. Look around you, people. If we were, if we were ever 
alive in a time that was about yourself. This is it. Oh, you can pick your gender. You can be whatever you want to be. Somebody said to me a couple weeks ago, a lady that runs a a store that has little cards, and she said, you know, the really important card, the the one, the most popular one we have is is scripture. You you can appreciate this. I said, what scripture is it? All things are possible with God. I said, what does that mean? She said, I can be anything. You know, that scripture is about even the worst of human beings can be saved. It's not about my potential as a human being. We live in this age. John's saying, watch out. One thing is really clear from what John writes. In these last days, in these last hours, John says the Antichrist is anything that directly opposes Jesus Christ. And, and, and that that Antichrist rises up out of the church, not out there in the culture. Well, what do we do about that? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I, I know some people get tired of hearing it. But the only way to know this, I, I mean, the Holy Spirit will actuate this in us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the helper, the one who will guide us and counsel us, comfort us and convict us all at the same time. But it doesn't do any good if, if we're not reading our Bibles. So we need to read our Bibles. It needs to be a daily discipline, a daily practice. Okay, enough of the read the Bibles, right? We looked at this anointing. And the anointing that John's talking about is the Holy Spirit. We need to be careful not to over-spiritualize the Holy Spirit. That it's not overly mystical. It is supernatural. But understand this, it's not a gift for some who are saved and not others. All saved people have it. And just reason with me for a second on this. You don't have to go through some ritual. There's not some special prayer you need to get the Spirit. And, And the reason for that is, is because of our doctrine of the Trinity. There are, God is one person, right? There are three persons in the Godhead, right? Each person is... God. So when we get Jesus Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. He's not standing off to the side going, well, we got to wait for another event here. We get the whole package. And he brings not just knowledge and illumination of the scriptures, but he brings eternal life. And then we have the abiding. We abide in the scriptures not because they reorient us. They, they put our focus. They point us not to ourselves, but to the object of our worship, the focus, and the center of our lives, which is Jesus Christ. So if you believe all that, then you have to be careful. We have to be careful not to let our preconceptions about the scriptures taint how we interpret them. We've heard a lot of teaching about the Antichrist. It's all over the place. And this is a prime example. Yet that word, the Antichrist, only appears 
in these three letters in John. Did you realize that? It's nowhere else in the Bible. Most folks just assume that the other passages are talking about this demonic person who will oppose Jesus in the end times is going to be like the battle of the super warriors. Yeah, there's very little that the Bible says about the Antichrist being an individual, particularly one that John talks about in his letters. That's certainly not the case. Now, why, why, why is this important? And, you know, I've tried to take my time on this. And back in John's day, the people thought... Most of them thought they knew their scriptures. But all they really knew is what some folks were telling them. When something that sounded better came around, they ran to it. All but the ones who listened carefully and knew their scriptures. I recently ran into my friend who was sure that Obama was the Antichrist. And I asked him, I said, so what happened? Oh, no, 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 no. No, it's not Obama. It's the Pope. It's the Pope. And I'm keeping an eye on him. So we're sitting there having a cup of coffee and began sharing. And when I asked him, when I said to him, how's your daily Bible reading going? Because I like to ask that question. I like people to ask it of me. He said, well, I haven't been reading it every day, but I've been reading a lot of books about the Bible. And there's all these books about who the Antichrist is, and I've got articles and podcasts. I was kind of like, no, no shorts on Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're there. That's how I learned that the Pope was the Antichrist. There's lots of books, lots of podcasts, lots of articles about the Bible, but none of them mean anything without knowing the Bible without understanding what it says. And when we're reading about the Bible and listening to what other people say about it, you need to take what I'm teaching you here today and compare it to the Scriptures. I've told you before, I am totally 100% responsible for every word I teach. And you're responsible for every word you receive. You don't get to go to heaven and say, but John told me this. There's plenty of stuff out there about the Bible. But without knowing what the Bible says. You know what? Have you ever been to the beach in your car? Kelly and I used to live down in Florida. You can go to Daytona Beach and drive down the beach, up and down the beach. Every year somebody gets run over. And if you go too far off where the sand is packed, you start to bog down. And most people, when that happens, begin spinning their wheels And all they end up doing is digging a deeper hole for them to be stuck in. When our only diet are things about the Bible and things people say about the Bible, we're digging a hole. Not what Jesus died for. It's not what we've been given the Holy Spirit for. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God go hand in hand. And we need equal doses of all of them in order to keep our orientation so that when somebody says it's the Pope and we're spending hours and hours and hours trying to prove to ourselves that it's the Pope, meanwhile, we've got false teaching surrounding us everywhere in the church that takes the focus off of our Lord and Savior and puts it on us. 
The only way we're going to know that is if we know our Bible. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Thanks that you've given us your word. Lord, we know it's a book. We know they are translations, but we trust, Lord, that the Holy Spirit in us will lead us to the truth. We depend on him, Father, but we pray you would gird about us your angels that help us to discipline ourselves, to read our Bibles, to put our focus on you, to listen carefully to what's coming into us, what's being poured into us, so that we can filter out that that is not from you and embrace everything that is. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week with the center of John's teaching. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.